This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Man Alive by G. K. Chesterton. Section 7. Part 1. The Enigmas of Innocent Smith. Chapter 5. The Garden of the God. Diana Duke seemed inexplicably irritated at the abrupt entrance and utterance of the other girl. Well, she said shortly, I suppose Miss Gray can decline him if she doesn't want to marry him. But she does want to marry him, cried Rosamond in exasperation. She's a wild, wicked fool, and I won't be parted from her. Perhaps, said Diana icily, but I really don't see what we can do. For the man's balmy, Diana, reasoned her friend angrily. I can't let my nice governess marry a man that's balmy. You or somebody must stop it. Mr. Englewood, you're a man. Go and tell them they simply can't. Unfortunately, it seems to me they simply can, said Englewood, with a depressed air. I have far less right of intervention than Miss Duke, besides having, of course, far less moral force than she. You haven't either of you got much, cried Rosamond, the last stays of her formidable temper giving way. I think I'll go somewhere else for a little sense and pluck. I think I know someone who will help me more than you do. At any rate, he's a cantankerous beast, but he's a man, and he has a mind and knows it. And she flung out into the garden with cheeks aflame, and the parasol whirling like a Catherine wheel. She found Michael Moon standing under the garden tree, looking over the hedge, hunched like a bird of prey, with his large pipe hanging down his long blue chin. The very hardness of his expression pleased her, after the nonsense of the new engagement and the shilly-shallying of her other friends. "'I am sorry I was cross, Mr. Moon,' she said frankly. "'I hated you for being a cynic, but I've been well punished, for I want a cynic just now.' I've had my fill of sentiment. I'm fed up with it. The world's gone mad, Mr. Moon. All except the cynics, I think. That maniac Smith wants to marry my old friend Mary, and she doesn't seem to mind. Seeing his attentive face still undisturbedly smoking, she added smartly, I'm not joking. That's Mr. Smith's cab outside. He swears he'll take her off now to his aunt's and go for a special license. Do give me some practical advice, Mr. Moon. Mr. Moon took his pipe out of his mouth, held it in his hand for an instant reflectively, and then tossed it to the other side of the garden. My practical advice to you is this, he said. Let him go for his special license, and ask him to get another one for you and me. Is that one of your jokes? asked the young lady. Do say what you really mean. I mean that innocent Smith is a man of business, said Moon, with ponderous precision, a plain, practical man, a man of affairs, a man of facts, and the daylight. He has let down twenty ton of good building bricks suddenly on my head, and I am glad to say they have woken me up. We went to sleep a little while ago on this very lawn in this very sunlight. We have had a little nap for five years or so, but now we're going to be married, Rosamond, and I can't see why that cab. 
Really, said Rosamond stoutly, I don't know what you mean. What a lie, cried Michael, advancing on her with brightening eyes. I'm all for lies in an ordinary way. But don't you see that tonight they won't do? We've wandered into a world of facts, old girl. That grass growing and that sun going down and that cab at the door are facts. You used to torment and excuse yourself by saying I was after your money and didn't really love you. But if I stood here now and I told you I didn't love you, you wouldn't believe me, for truth is in this garden tonight. Really, Mr. Moon, said Rosamond, rather more faintly. He kept his two big blue magnetic eyes focused on her face. Is my name Moon? he asked. Is your name Hunt? On my honor, they sound to me as quaint and distant as Red Indian names. It's as if your name was Swim and my name was Sunrise. But our real names are husband and wife, and they were when we fell asleep. It's no good, said Rosamond, with real tears in her eyes. One can never go back. I can go where I damn please, said Michael, and I can carry you on my shoulder. But really, Michael, really, you must stop and think, cried the girl earnestly. You could carry me off my feet, I dare say, soul and body, but it may be bitter bad business for all that. These things done in that romantic rush, like Mr. Smith, they, they do attract women, I don't deny it. As you say, we're all telling the truth tonight. They've attracted poor Mary, for one. They attract me, Michael, but the cold fact remains. Imprudent marriages do lead to long unhappiness and disappointment. You've got used to your drinks and things. I shan't be pretty much longer. Imprudent marriages, roared Michael, and pray where in earth or heaven are there any prudent marriages. Might as well talk about prudent suicides. You and I have dawdled round each other long enough, and are we any safer than Smith and Mary Gray, who met last night? You never know a husband till you marry him. Unhappy? Of course you'll be unhappy. Who the devil are you that you shouldn't be unhappy, like the mother that bore you? Disappointed? Of course we'll be disappointed. I, for one, don't expect till I die to be so good a man as I am this minute, a tower with all the trumpets shouting. You see all this, said Rosamond, with grand sincerity in her solid face, and do you really want to marry me? My darling, what else is there to do, reasoned the Irishman? What other occupation is there for an active man on this earth except to marry you? What's the alternative to marriage, barring sleep? It's not liberty, Rosamond. Unless you marry God, as our nuns do in Ireland, you must marry man. That is me. The only third thing is to marry yourself. Yourself, yourself, yourself. The only companion that is never satisfied, and never satisfactory. Michael, said Miss Hunt in a very soft voice, if you won't talk so much... I'll marry you. It's no time for talking, cried Michael Moon. Singin's the only thing. Can't you find that mandolin of yours, Rosamond? Go and fetch it for me, said Rosamond, with crisp and sharp authority. The lounging Mr. Moon stood for one splint second astonished. Then he shot away across the lawn as if shod with the feathered shoes out of the Greek fairy tale. He cleared three yards and fifteen daisies at a leap out of mere bodily levity, but 
when he came within a yard or two of the open parlour windows his flying feet fell in their old manner like lead he twisted round and came back slowly whistling the events of that enchanted evening were not at an end inside the dark sitting-room of which moon had caught a glimpse a curious thing had happened almost an instant after the intemperate exit of rosamond it was something which occurring in that obscure parlour seemed to arthur inglewood like heaven and earth turning head over heels the sea being the ceiling and the stars the floor no words can express how it astonished him as it astonishes all simple men when it happens yet the stiffest female stoicism seemed separated from it only by a sheet of paper or a sheet of steel it indicates no surrender far less any sympathy the most rigid and ruthless woman can begin to cry just as the most effeminate man can grow a beard it is a separate sexual power and proves nothing one way or the other about force of character but to young men ignorant of women like arthur inglewood to see diana duke crying was like seeing a motor-car shedding tears of petrol he could never have given even if his really manly modesty had permitted it any vaguest vision of what he did when he saw that portent he acted as men do when a theatre catches fire very differently from how they would have conceived themselves as acting whether for better or worse he had a faint memory of certain half-stifled explanations that the heiress was the one really paying guest and she would go and the bailiffs in consequence would come but after that he knew nothing of his own conduct except by the protests it evoked leave me alone mr inglewood leave me alone that's not the way to help but i can help you said arthur with grinding certainly i can i can i can why you said cried the girl that you were much weaker than me so i am weaker than you said arthur in a voice that went vibrating through everything but not just now let go my hands cried diana i won't be bullied in one element he was much stronger than she the matter of humour this leapt up in him suddenly and he laughed saying well you are mean you know quite well you'll bully me all the rest of my life you might allow a man the one minute of his life when he's allowed to bully it was as extraordinary for him to laugh as for her to cry and for the first time since her childhood diana was entirely off her guard do you mean you want to marry me she said why there's a cab at the door cried inglewood springing up with an unconscious energy and bursting open the glass doors that led into the garden as he led her out by the hand they realized somehow for the first time that the house and garden were on a steep height over london and yet though they felt the place to be uplifted they felt it also to be secret it was like some round-walled garden on the top of one of the turrets of heaven inglewood looked round dreamily his brown eyes devouring all sorts of details with senseless delight he noticed for the first time that the railings of the gate beyond the garden bushes were moulded like little spearheads and painted blue he noticed that one of the blue spears was loosened in its place and hung sideways and this almost made him laugh he thought it somehow exquisitely harmless and funny that the railing should be crooked he thought he should like to know how it happened who did it and how the man was getting on when they were gone a few feet across that fiery grass they realized that they were not alone rosamond hunt and the eccentric mr moon 
both of whom they had at last seen in the blackest temper of detachment, were standing together on the lawn. They were standing in quite an ordinary manner, and yet they looked somehow like people in a book. Oh, said Diana, what lovely air! I know, called out Rosamond with pleasure, so positive that it rang out like a complaint. It's just like that horrid, beastly, fizzy stuff they gave me that made me feel happy. Oh, it isn't anything like anything but itself, answered Diana, breathing deeply. Why, it's all cold, and yet it feels like fire. Balmy is the word we use in Fleet Street, said Mr. Moon. Balmy, especially on the crumpet. And he fanned himself quite unnecessarily with his straw hat. They were all full of little leaps and pulsations of objectless and airy energy. Diana stirred and stretched her long arms rigidly, as if crucified, in a sort of excruciating restfulness. Michael stood still for long intervals with gathered muscles, then spun round like a teetotum and stood still again. Rosamond did not trip, for women never trip except when they fall on their noses, but she struck the ground with her foot as she moved, as if to some inaudible dance tune. And Inglewood, leaning quite quietly against the tree, had unconsciously clutched a branch and shaken it with a creative violence. Those giant gestures of man that made the high statues and the strokes of war tossed and tormented all their limbs. Silently, as they strolled and stood, they were bursting like batteries with an animal magnetism. And now, cried Moon quite suddenly, stretching out a hand on each side, let's dance round that bush. Why, what bush do you mean? asked Rosamond, looking round with a sort of radiant rudeness. The bush that isn't there, said Michael, the mulberry bush. They had taken each other's hands, half laughing and quite ritually, and before they could disconnect again, Michael spun them all around like a demon spinning the world for a top. Diana felt as the circle of the horizon flew instantaneously around her, a far aerial sense of the ring of heights beyond London and corners where she had climbed as a child. She seemed almost to hear the rooks cawing about the old pines on Highgate, or to see the glow-worms gathering and kindling in the woods of Box Hill. The End of Section 7